Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to V with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Noble Oak Whiskey, Baby Yoda, cracking jokes on Twitter, Connecticut, and so much more. It's been months in the making, but I finally got the opportunity to sit down with Tom Johnson of Noble Oak. He was really doing great work there in New York, decided to bike to Seattle where he now resides and take full ownership, a one-man team, if you will, for Noble Oak Whiskey, their new Rye will be arriving in Austin, Texas any day now. And there's a great little party that they're throwing next week with Terry and Nick of here nor there in San Antonio for the cocktail conference. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Tom Johnson. I really do. Oh, boy. Yeah. And I... Thank you for being one of the five real people that follows me. That's right. And, but it, there, there's a humor, there's a lightness to it. But what I want to ask you is, with inspiration, I think David Foster Wallace, for instance, Infinite Jest, and like these deeply cerebral kinds of figures, and of course a little bit of Star Wars thrown in there too, how do you navigate such a free-flowing and opportune place to say something wrong how do you navigate that space as a brand ambassador as a dude how uh, is- <laughs> i just assume that nobody follows me on twitter that has anything to do with what i do professionally <laughs> so it's it is i just treat it as a free space and uh my facebook has grown much less inflammatory i have far fewer hot takes on facebook these days because <laughs> yeah. i think that that space has gotten increasingly fraught particularly brand-wise and professionally yeah. and in the bartender community. So there are a few active folks in, in our community on Twitter, but that's not really the sphere that I live in on Twitter. It's much more like politics and pop culture and talking shit. Yeah, which I think's where it comes to be funny. That's the fun part. You know? Yeah. Are you worried? Like, I stop. I'm still on Twitter, obviously, because I'm looking at stuff here and there. And I, I think it's really good to know what's your finger on the pulse of news and stuff. I think it's good for that. But how do you feel... Its effect is what effect it's having like on us as I do this proverbial us move, the community, not even the booze community, but just people in general. Yeah, Twitter's like the best thing and the worst thing. Yeah. So obviously the status that it's grown to politically and as like a delivery system for, you know, war now even mm-hmm. and happening at the highest level internationally instantaneously. Mm-hmm. You know, like this past week we saw in real life, uh, war de-escalate in real time that on crazy. Twitter. And that's yeah. absurd. Um, but it's also like if you thought about a joke when you saw the Cats movie. Uh-huh. It was already it already happened on Twitter. It's like <laughs> it's like Jungian theory happening in front of you. It's crazy. As a philosophy major, this has to be one of the most fertile grounds for you to observe people, to put information out there. And does that appeal to your very cerebral nature to be able to <laughs> leverage and flex that muscle? 
Uh, I guess. I mean, since I got the degree, I feel like all I've done is got dumber. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like this cycle of constantly getting dumber and then looking back and at moments that I believed for sure that I was the smartest person in the room and being like, what a dumb snot-nosed asshole. So now how, as you've gotten wiser, because you're, what, mid-30s, early 30s? Yeah, 33. 33, right, yeah. And that's one of the things I think we learn. Have you learned that listening is always better than talking? And I know this is a suggestive thing, but I feel like that's one of the paramount things to be able to do to be successful. Yeah, the old adage that you got tight, two ears and one mouth, and you should use them in that proportion, Yeah, uh, I think is definitely true, and I'm very bad at observing it, even still quite often. <laughs> uh, I, I think that, I don't know, I've gotten like tired of having loud opinions kind of as I get older mm. and still no less good at not having loud opinions or whatever. What is So as you've matured, right? Because you've been doing this for quite some time, if I understand the tail correctly you know you're in a band in providence rhode island you make the move over to new york you work for click and sons and to john george or whatever and so really really getting into hospitality so let's reflect for a bit because this is what eight to ten years in the industry at this point about that yeah um and really that's a thank you for the generosity (laughs) welcome to uh the Show to V podcast with Mike G, by the way, the Mark Marin of the Spirits of oh, Marketing man, world. I, this is a lot more like the WTF podcast than any of the other big players out there. Tom, I'm going to say one thing. I'm just redirecting so that I don't have to. No, and I, I'm going to give you this. I don't normally give anyone that opportunity, but Mark Marin is the only reason I did this. He is actually specifically the reason I started a podcast. And in fact, I can't listen to a show anymore because I, it was so similar in nature in terms of what I was trying to do. And thanks for that, because that's really, that's part, that's it. That's why we're both here. Yeah, we're just that, two dude. people talking and, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's some of the industry titans that you've had on in the last couple of weeks or whatever it is that I am and I do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what I mean, that's... Are you like best supporting actor? Is that kind of what you classify yourself as? Probably. I mean, and I think that's pretty generous too. I mean, that's like a pretty generous reading of my growth and development trajectory in this industry a lot more what it feels like to me, and I'm probably the least interesting person to talk to about my own biography in this business, is that like I, I was piggybacking on Eric Jobs' coattails, which is interesting. Again, sure. I mentioned before we got on air that I accidentally listened to your podcast with <laughs> Eric Jobs because it was labeled Mike G in yeah. my Metatext. Uh, so it was fun to hear like his story, and if you go back and listen to that, viewers at home, then that'll give a lot of context to kind of my growth. So... Yeah, I, I describe it as I kind of had a midlife crisis in my mid-20s after graduating college. I didn't yeah. know what I wanted to do. The economy had collapsed. Moved to Providence, Rhode Island, um, where I was working in libraries. Mm-hmm. And Eric Job had already made his leap from ice cream scooper extraordinaire to uh, moving to New York and working for Kraft and opening Coleco and Sons. Yeah. Did you, you guys didn't grow up together though, did you? We did. We went to high school together. In fact, Holy shit, he, I didn't know that. Yeah, he beat me out for Homecoming King. So what? that, and that was the birth of our friendship. That's incredible. Cause there is a similar accessibility, a similar level headedness that I see between the two of you. And I don't want to attribute it to Connecticut. I really don't. Never been there. But it's quite possible there's Midwestern sensibilities. You never meet someone from Wisconsin you don't like. I mean, that's never the case. So, all right. When I had talked to Eric, 
because you guys are similar in age, went to high school together. This is great. He, to me, and I would I, I would talk to him about this person, person, person too, but he seemed like he was hitting a point where his body was taking a really big burden from the industry. Like it was really taking the piss out of him. And that will, any industry could do that, especially the booze industry after eight to 10 years. How, for you, are you feeling mental in terms of mental acuity and your physical ability to do things? Are you, is this taking its toll on you? Oh, big time. Yeah. Um, and that he was kind of the model for a lot of my growth and trajectory in this industry. You know, as much as we're peers and buddies and went to high school together and kind of grew up in this industry together, he is like a, you know, ball of charisma. Yeah. And I don't know if I was the best supporting actor type so much as kind of a producer role uh-huh. and have kind of identified my growth as tagging along with great crews and kind of boosting their abilities or getting them a bigger platform. And like, I think that was the story of us at Extra Fancy. And then he jumped into the brand world. I jumped on a bike, rode it to Seattle, and then ended up in the brand world anyways. Yeah. With kind of him as a model of, this is how you do the gig. It's yeah. like, you go out until the bar closes every night. And I don't have the same skill set that he did or that he does. Yeah, yeah. Um, so kind of trying to use that as a model, but also grow into it in a different way and lean more on the things that I do well mm-hmm. in terms of like creativity or event production or finding platforms to build communities and boost other people up more than be the star of the show myself. Because I have flashes of that sometimes. Um, but I think it, I find that more exhausting and that's kind of where the toll comes. But yeah, just the, the grind of sitting on airplanes and eating and drinking 10 to 12 hours a day, six or so days a week. Yeah. Takes its toll on you for sure. You know, it's interesting, and I never really drew the, the parallel till you said that, is there's lots of food shows. <laughs> They're just like more like carnival food, state fair food, you know, big food, small food, everything in between. And you start seeing, because the whole job is consumption, right? It's being on and it's consumption. You see these hosts start to gain weight you see them to start a series apparently listening to me <laughs> which if anyone wanted to know it is in fact listening no but they're it breaks them down eating and doing it all the time so when you talk about balance what do you do to offset 12 hours of this lifestyle a day six to seven days a week uh i've thought about it as kind of having a learning curve this gig and Actually, when I went on Eric Castro's podcast, that's kind of what we talked about. It's mm. like, what's the learning curve? But I still only have been doing this job in a national capacity for now for just a year. Yeah. Um, and so I think I'm still in the meat of the learning curve. Mm-hmm. And particularly, I kind of had tagged the beginning of this year as like, all right, it's time to think about this and what the last year looked like and felt like. And yeah. there's a lot of things that I'm proud of and you know, kind of being on a small team and starting a new brand has been super exciting. But... How do you take care of yourself while also doing that? And yeah. particularly, how many people our industry has lost yeah. in the last year, in the last few years, um, has taken a toll like mentally? Like mm-hmm. I, I, I think about it in terms of like, is this the price that we pay to do this in yeah. our roles? And what can we do differently 
to not have that just be a, a cost that's built in. Right. Um, I don't have any smart answers for you, unfortunately, yeah. but it's definitely a work in progress. Um, well, there's no silver bullet. You know, it, if you eat poorly and you don't offset that with either relaxation or exercise, that will take its toll, even if you're not drinking. So then you layer in drinking heavily and then your body just gives out. And it's a, it's an interesting thing because, you know, you had this string of comedians that died in the 80s because of this lavish lifestyle. And, it, you know, it probably goes without saying there's a lot of drug use as well. So you had this third thing and people are just putting themselves out to pasture because of these lifestyles. So you, because like, that's one of the things is Eric is so charismatic and I'll stop making it about him right here in a second, but what do you do if you don't want to be like that? You know what I mean? Because like I'll, I'll be on a little bit or when I choose to, but I couldn't imagine having to do it day in, day out. So you have seemingly to me found a way to leverage everything else you're really good at. Thinking, writing, your humor. And that's the way that you can do this role so you can do it in your own way. Yeah, finding other outlets. And I think for me with this role, one of the key elements of it is that I'm working with a brand that does tree planting as yeah. part of our core mission. So this year I've thought about more ways to pivot in that direction, like go on nature hikes or like how to build it into what you already have to do. Yeah. So like biking for me was kind of something that took that role when I was a bartender in New York. Yeah. Like before I decided to ride a bike across the country, I'd never ridden more than 10 miles at one time ever. No and I kind of just came up with this, you know, had that thought that turned into this thing. Yeah. And I started doing it as a commuter because I felt like we were drinking a lot behind the bar. We would close, you know, food till three thirty, close till four. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes you'd be there until six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, and I lived, you know, in Ridgewood, Queens, which at the time felt like the other side of the moon, right? Yeah. New York City keeps growing out and expanding. Um, but it was like a relatively long commute at the time. And biking for me became the way to not have to wake up early and go to the gym and build in this other specific piece of a routine that uh -huh. you had to give something up for. It was something that I could slot into what I was already doing yeah. that made me better at that and also made me healthier. In the process. And, yeah. It makes I mean that's that's a really smart way to do it. There's this fundamental talent I think or fundamental trait that people have to have in the hospitality industry and that is liking other people. <laughs> Which can be very trying at times, but given that you you know self-proclaimed you're not a superstar, you're a supporting player if you will, or maybe even like a screenwriter or something like that, right? How is it did you feel you had the natural skill set to go out in front of people all the time? And charm them not even as an ambassador but just as a server as a bartender so that's something that you you obviously took to it but did you find that it was a natural quality uh yes and no i mean i've always had this like performative element but i think that for me it's it's more of a duality it's more of whereas i think some of the folks who are tremendous at it and like the best at being the charisma or the the leading man so to speak in our industry that i know personally much more gain their power from that. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, it's like I have to have a bank that's full and I can spend it I see, yeah. to be the leading man for a night or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like three bar shifts in a row back in the day when we were doing bartending. And maybe that would be 
a 42 hour three day stretch mm-hmm. and then i would sleep for the whole first day off or whatever yeah so it, it i think it's a different use of resources That's where i can access that yeah. space because there i feel recharged when i talk to people uh, do some classes for, about agave and stuff in the that setting and i know you did some substitute teaching did that refill you at all no it's different when you're kind of serving drinks right it's kind of like an output now even though people can give you stimulating conversation and encourage you and all of that but teaching's a little different it's like top down right did you find that the dynamic there was that that refueled you or was it the same kind of thing where you needed your rest build the reserve back up and then go deliver it out I think for me, it's more of like a a scale thing where large groups and being on stage and being in front of a lot of people or having to command a lot of attention uh, is something that takes away energy. And then smaller groups or one-on-one conversation Mm -hmm. is recharging. I see. And so kind of having a balance between those two things because too much time in solitude is also not the best. Sure. So it's... I know. I've, from my understanding, that's kind of the difference between being introverted and extroverted, just naturally. Uh-huh. And this is like the ambivert: is I can appear like an extrovert sure. in you know fits and starts, and when you have to go on stage and do a general sales meeting or whatever, throw a party or DJ for ten hours or do the charity bartending shift anymore. It's yeah. like I do think that I was pretty good at those things when I did them, um, but it was never the thing that grew my energy source interesting yeah it's a very i think it's a really interesting way to look at it getting recharged versus you needing to recharge yourself and like that kind of it's a very interesting dynamic with people one of the things i think that's also very difficult with this industry you can say mental health but it's the process of finding solace and finding solitude this could be yoga for some people it could be meditation whatnot but you have an is it easy for you to step away and to just unwind truly and be at peace? I think that's another one of the challenging pieces about moving into a role like this, is that kind of being the face of a brand, is, which is like what the brand ambassador is, or I jokingly refer to myself as the mascot sometimes, <laughs> um, and being plugged into things like social media and kind of having to run a social media channel or being tasked with that as certain parts of the responsibilities yeah. is it's hard to turn that off even over holidays, right? Because right, you're supposed to be posting. And and so even when you aren't in front of people, there are elements of the job that are very difficult to turn off. And I think that, again, I would think of that as part of the learning curve, you know, and I'm still in the meat of that learning curve is just being able to put up actual walls for yourself and protect your space and time. Yeah. Um, and I tend to be fairly willing to overinvest because I really believe in the thing and I want it to succeed and, sure. and am happy to put in that effort, but you don't, I've, I've also have kind of a history of riding it too hard of overinvesting and then burning out. Yeah. So I'm aware of that of myself and, and I'm still trying to find ways to put up walls while, you know, continuing to push this forward. Sure. Music still a big part of your life? Absolutely. Playing or listening both? Uh, playing less so, and that kind of fits into the all these other narrative bits about believing less in myself as a leading man, but yeah. I still love culture and particularly consuming it and thinking about it and using it as a motivator. And Exactly. So I also know you're a big film fan too. Has there been anything recently that you've heard via music or that you've seen via film that has really 
inspired you or given you a different perspective on this whole thing that we call life? Oh, it's like this whole thing that we call life (laughs) or this whole thing that is this role in this job. Um, You know, this being the end of the decade, I spent some time in the last few weeks looking back on a lot of the stuff that's come out over the last few years. Um, My top couple of films from this last decade were First Reformed, Uh, Paul Schrader, Ethan Hawke movie. I haven't seen it yet. Um, Just because it deals with spirituality and... uh, the environment uh-huh. and how those two things kind of intersect in a way that nothing else is doing. Like nobody in Hollywood seems to be trying to have that dialogue about what are we doing to the planet? How does that uh, deal with us? And how do we deal with that as people uh-huh. and with our relationship with God, whether or not he exists? Sure. And so that's just a really interesting thing that since I thought it, saw it, haven't stopped thinking about it. Really? Um, but my second favorite movie was Paddington 2. So there's like a huge Dude, dichotomy I Paddington. there. I don't know why. Um, but that is, that's an, again, a tribute, you can attribute it to your duality. You know, what is it about the lightness, the friendliness, and the Britishness, which I, again, <laughs> I love Paddington, man. The first one was like a perfect movie to me, just for the family or just for even adults. But like, what about that appealed to you? Uh, this ties into maybe seeing also the. Fred Rogers documentary, he's kind of been a hot topic the last few years, is that I also spent a lot of time reading the news obsessively and just just felt exhausting to wake up in a world where the news cycle is scary or frightening or frustrating every single day and, you know, internally and externally in our industry. And so to have something that's just focusing on what it means to be nice and to be kind to each other, but that's also in this beautiful fun package with tremendous actors like it's it's nice to have levity yeah that it also has some meat well, on the bone and there's, there's class to it too you know that's one of the things that i find it, we'll talk about baby yoda for a second because i think it's funny i can't well, every time i watch the mandalorian i hadn't rewatched the episodes for the first time going through them i couldn't stop laughing and giggling about how cute this character was right and i started to think why i was like why why is it so cute you know and then I realized it's the perfect intersection of elderly people and babies. <laughs> Two things that are like super cute, but it's has it not provided a lot of joy for people? The single character. Uh, I, you can follow me on Twitter if you really want to see <laughs> all of my opinions about how the Walt Disney Corporation has handled the Star Wars franchise. That, that's a know. whole different thing. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Baby Yoda rules you just baby yoda is one thing and that's another like moment and that's like why i love the paddington 2 thing or the fred rogers thing it's like this moment of levity that we can all unite behind that's just beautiful and fun even if the show is kind of just nothing happens and is kind of whatever it's like wilford brimley kind of you know who that is yeah of course yeah like he has a wilford brimley kind of quality that's i'm sorry but he does but that that's good because it, it is this weird intersection of time and space and utter cuteness. And I, what was the name? I, I thought this was good. What was the name that you thought he had? Charleston or something like that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's just like, that's a whole other thing. I, I could talk about funny. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't want to waste the next 20 minutes of this yeah, podcast yeah. going down stupid internet rabbit holes. But I, I do, I'll leave it at this. I think Nigel is the perfect name. That's me. absolutely. Isn't that great? Dude, this you're like walking into so many things. We could talk for two hours because you're stepping on like all of my 
So, like, Charles was a nickname that we gave to the third member of our crew, and Eric and I were working it extra fancy. And our other friend from New England started working with us. Yeah. Uh, his name was Andrew Lind. And our boss was uh, going to the store one day, and he was like, TJ, you need anything? Tom Johnson. Yeah. Eric Jab, EJ, you need anything? And he was like, hey, Andrew, do you need anything? And he's like, what? wait, what's your middle name? And he's like, Charles. And we're like, all right, he's Charles. He's just Charles. He's AJ now. See, this is good efficiency. And right? this is- that became a whole thing. And then the Charleston was just because I think that's hilarious. And that's like a lot of my Twitter presence is actually just kind of joking with these like low level celebrities and that's podcast right. folks that I like a lot. So the reply all guys. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Alex Goldman just like anti humor is his thing. Like uh, Florence Pugh. Why don't we talk about Florence P or like the Mandalorian? <laughs> When's anybody going to talk about the woman Delorean? It's just <laughs> like the stupidest jokes ever. See, but this is we'll leave it at this. That's what Twitter should really be about. Yeah, that's the level that I engage. Stupid fucking jokes, because that's the best part of the whole thing. That's why I love it. So I'm gonna we're gonna talk about how this role formed. But there are two moments I want to kind of compare. So there's this moment where you move into this brand role here in Seattle, but there's also this movement where you, excuse me, moment where you depart from academia and what you potentially studied for. What was kind of the final straw that drove you into hospitality? Uh, being a depressed person, and that could be a whole other two-hour-long podcast, too. Again, I kind of describe it flippantly as having a a midlife crisis in my mid-20s. But uh, kind of moving from Providence to New York and then also moving from New York to Seattle was this attempt to, like, run away from myself, Mm. which is another thing that you learn. You can't do that. Wherever you go, there you are. There you are. Whether you're you there in Providence or you there in New York. That's a great point. But I was also kind of like living the life of a retired person after graduating college, couldn't really oh, find see. work, was working in libraries with like late middle-aged women, yeah, which was rad at the time, but I had never drank before. I was living a domestic life, cohabitating, had no friends to speak of, mm-hmm. and was just going to the library and then going home. Yeah. And like, there's nowhere to go from here. And so Eric Job was kind of the catalyst. He was like, come to New York, we'll figure the rest of the bit out. Got it. Um, so that was the leap to New York, which got me into hospitality, which I was horrible at in the beginning. He was like, fine dining, just come on in. I'm going to stick my neck out for you. I don't do this for a lot of people. Yeah. You'll figure it out. Of course. And for a month solid, the manager went to him and he's like, we got to fire your boy. Like he's the worst person that's ever worked here. Yeah. And every day for a month, and I was staying on his couch at the time too, for the first month that I was in New York. And he was like, don't fire him. He's going to be it's going to work out. You yeah. got to just give him another minute. And then like in month two, I was training all of the other back servers. Amazing. They were like, so they're like, something just clicked. He realized that he was terrible. And so there was like a lot of come to Jesus moments in my first year in New York. That was a big part of that trajectory. Mm. And then again, it was kind of like got tired of New York, jumped on a bike as a way to try and run away from myself. Was it so the, I've had, I'll share this. I've had really difficult and trying relationships in my life and it's driven me to greatness but also very very dark dark places right so these moves you talk about cohabitating so i have to say that you're implying so were you also running away from a relationship i mean i was but it wasn't that specifically it was much more me and being depressed and for me when you're depressed the hardest thing it is to do is identify that you're depressed. 
Yeah. That's when it's at its worst. Because sure. when you can't put words to how dark a hole you're in. Yeah. And that has often expressed in my inability to be a good partner or friend. And that's like when it gets the worst and I need to do something to run away from that thing, that yeah. person, that place. But that person in place is me then. And floating some big thing like moving to New York or, or riding a bike is, is the big thing that you need to put in front of yourself to get out of that or that I needed to put in front of yeah. myself. Um, and I think that the bike thing and it not being a silver bullet, being an even bigger, more challenging thing yeah. kind of helped illuminate and, and give me a lot more grounding the next time that I face that. Yeah. Um, hopefully I won't just do that again and ride a bike to, or I don't know, learn how to fly an airplane and fly it to some other weird giant city or something. I mean, you know, if you keep, there's boats left. You can still do boats. You yeah. can take a boat somewhere. There's planes. If you became a conductor for a train, that's old school, but that's pretty good too. There's got to be tracks that go somewhere, that's but why not? Always somewhere, right? So in 2017, we're, we're 2020 now, right? Jeez. Yeah. Man, okay. So this is a couple years already. You've been doing this thing. How'd the conversation start? for you to become part of what you call the singular <laughs> Noble Oak team? So that's, I don't even know. I, I've like developed this narrative that I now tell is like the story version of this sure. thing because just the sheer facts. There's a lot of kismet in, in my entire trajectory in this industry and I think kind of what defines um, a lot of what I've done in this industry is not knowing better, not knowing that something shouldn't happen and so then uh, doing whatever thing I thought was the thing that should be done because nobody ever told me that that wasn't the way to do it. Like mm -hmm. definitely our muscle shirt Mondays at Extra Fancy was like, I don't know any better. <laughs> I don't know how a bar works. We're just going to do this because it's going to be fun and I'm working with my buddies. Um, and then when I started working at bars in Seattle, I think that was a really rough transition period for me and a lot of things didn't work out in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and then... I got in close with some brand folks because I had that resume where I'd done a lot of brand stuff and done a lot of production and events. Got to Seattle where the market was very different and um, this gig kind of just existed. It came to exist. Sure. And I had grown close with the Edrington portfolio uh, woman, Jamie Buckman up there. And then it was an old bar regular of ours, mm -hmm. a good friend of Eric's and mine who used to come in extra fancy all the time and was associated with the Verna people, had moved out to San Francisco and started working for a Anchor, mm. moved back, got the Edrington role as their innovations person, oh, wow. and had developed this brand, reached out to me and said, hey, we're thinking about launching a new product in Seattle. I know that you just moved there. Have you met anybody that you think would be a good fit for this role? And so just like that, like boom, mm -hmm. in my inbox is like this thing, and I was like, yeah, I've always loved working with the Edrington folks. We did in New York. I do now in Seattle. Like, yeah. I love the portfolio. What's the gig? She's like, well, just here's the thing. Here's the link to the job description. Pass it along to anybody that you think would be good. So I throw my name in and you know, made it through the round of interviews and then got to the point where they were like, all right, here's the product. Edrington, we're launching a bourbon. Yeah. Great bourbon with a noble heart, tree planting. I was like, this just fits. Everything about this fits. Yeah. And so I got the gig to, to launch the brand in Seattle. So, I didn't know I'd had this whiskey. So, I know Emily, we got a bottle and I got to spend some time with it, you know. And 
we, we talked about this before we started recording. Whiskey people can be fucking so god. I'm so tired of like the community because it's not really community. It's just like, oh, I found a Weller toll. Fuck off, mate. You, you like you, <laughs> you ruined the whole goddamn thing for the rest of us. We've been drinking good bourbon for a long time, and that's the thing. So this can be tricky. The the way that this this product is, and I, but I, I don't. We don't need to traverse that. What I want to say is, I really like the way it tastes, <laughs> and it's got heavy sherry influence, right? So tell. Tell us how the sherry bit gets in there, because for me, that's what makes this so unctuous. Let the record show that I didn't say that about the bourbon community. <laughs> of course, you let me say that. That's me saying that. Actually, I've I went to every extent of my content creation abilities to make fun of that community, because my dad's turning into one of those guys. Oh, no. But I'm so I'm so happy I've inspired him to drink. Mike, you more. gotta you gotta save him, dude. He I I've I did tell him the other day. I was like, okay, these are good bottles, but I want you to buy stuff from other distilleries so you can taste the differences. He's like, all right, I'll do that. I'm like, that's all I can ask. So he'll eventually find that sherry treated sherry influenced whiskeys are. So uh, I want to back up here just a little bit and give you what I think is the fundamental lesson that I've learned since I started bartending, which is something that Robert Kruger was my mentor in the early days of Extra Fancy. He decided we were open until 4 a.m. every day before anything else was ever happening. So from midnight to 4 a.m. was just going to school. He's teaching me all the lessons. And the first and most important lesson he ever taught me was cocktails are supposed to be fun. And so for me, that's, that's the central thesis. And that's what I've taken through this line of work is that there's a hospitality angle to everything, including sales and being a brand ambassador, talking about whiskey. It should be fun. So if you're like, whatever, pick a brand. I think this stuff sucks because this or that or the other thing, whatever, mate. Like, cocktails are supposed to be fun. Have fun with it. Find what you like. Find what you love. Find why you like it. Be able to, you know, go to bat for that. And for me, uh, that gets me to, to this product. So... When it launched, it's Noble Oak, great bourbon with a noble heart. Now we got to get a little bit brand ambassadory. Sure, sure, sure. Um, this is the first ever innovation from Edrington Group. So Edrington, y'all know what Edrington does. McAllen, Highland Park, Linroth is mm-hmm. tremendous single malt scotches. Ten times more for their casks than the rest of the scotch industry year after year. Said to control 90% of the world's sherry seasoned European oak casks, mm-hmm. right? If that's the purchase that you have in the whiskey industry and you want to start a bourbon, you're going to make a sherry finished bourbon. Yeah, which is smart. And you're not going to be able to win against the other huge Kentucky bourbon distilleries. Making a new mash bill isn't going to make something interesting. The kind of space that was already available to play in has been explored by High West, being able to buy a bunch of old stock from all over the place Mm -hmm. and blend it, which is kind of like what Compass Box is doing, right? Like these have already been areas that have been breached. So unless you're going (laughs) to start a new distillery somewhere, which, you know, eventually Edrington also partnered up with, Wyoming whiskey, mm-hmm. a whiskey that stands alone, comes from a different place, does a different thing. What are you going to do? You're going to get that sherry into the whiskey, and we use a different process to get there. Yeah. Um, but the key thing for me is that there's no colors, chemicals, additives, or other bullshit. It's there just heat and pressure and wood and whiskey in a bit of a different way. Exactly. A different form so that, that's it right there. This is natural. But it has some other nice influences given the reach and the resources of McCallan and Edrington on the whole. But one of the things I think that's nice and 
I know that Angels Envy has kind of claimed to do the same thing, but they do it like once a year. But tell me about, no, you say, you know, bourbon with a heart and all of that, which is great. But you guys are actually planting trees. Uh, I've gone out and personally planted a bunch of trees myself um, because it's fun and also fits in with doing my job. So that's awesome. Um, <laughs> what is someone called that plants trees? Is there, if that, that was a job, any idea? Uh, well, arborists are there folks who love trees. I don't know if they're specifically the tree planters. That's um, what I was thinking of, yeah. I like to call them cool, nice people that I like to hang out with. Um, tree people. The, the tree bit is that uh, Edrington is actually principally owned by a charity. And so one of their core pillars is giving back, giving more, this being the first ever innovation without a distillery that was purchased or partnered up with. Mm -hmm. They had the ability to have a blank slate and infuse their identity into this product. The brand manager at the time who launched this was cared deeply about the environment and kind of got to have that personal angle. And so reforestation, but more than reforestation, sustainability and focusing on green living and kind of the lifestyle piece of it became the identity of this product. So our tree planting partner is OneTreePlanted.org. They're a national umbrella organization based out of New England, mm-hmm. um, but they filter money to local organizations. So our plan as the brand scales up is to focus on the local markets where we've launched the brand, where we're engaging, where we're selling a lot of bottles and plant the trees there. Yeah. So Austin being a big one, we're partnered up with tree folks here. Um, up in the Northwest in Seattle, I've gone out with uh, Mountain to Sound Greenway Trust a number of times. So One Tree Planted is the national partner, but then there's local organizations like that that do the reforestation. That's great. How long is the, so is the brand for Texas, how long has it been around? Because I ran into it at Last Whiskeys of the World, for instance, and I know we had actually tasted it. And going back, I did recognize this was a shared whiskey blind. And I was like, I like this because there's not a lot. So it's about a year, year and a half now? About It's somewhere in that range. I don't know the answer specifically, to be honest, because no. I don't, they never no, gave yeah, me yeah. the master spreadsheet. Um my understanding is that it launched in late 2017 in Seattle. That's when I started the gig, November, October. We had about eight months of exclu- exclusivity mm-hmm. in Seattle, and then it launched oh, to okay. New York and Detroit. No shit. was our second and third markets. That's I think cool. Austin was fourth. So it was about a year after, so late 2018. Yeah. Um, How you feeling about the brand's growth in this short period of time? We've been ahead of schedule in every market that we've launched in. Uh, it's been great. The reception has been great. Mm. The issue with this and a lot of other things is just it's a bandwidth issue. It's mm-hmm. trying to be everywhere all the time, be everybody's friend everywhere on earth. And and that's that's just a challenge, but it's kind of a good problem to have. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't care that it's 1045 in the morning. I'm not condoning it, but I'm also not judging. We're drinking whiskey. <laughs> So the role's been going well. The brand's building. I really think, I like this. I, re, I don't care how old it is. I just think it's rich enough. It's got enough texture, you know, and that's what really counts because there's lots of whiskeys out there and this still does taste different than those, but in a familiar way, right? That's how I feel. So we're talking about the future. You're 33. You guys have just dropped this rye. Is that correct? Yeah, so that's why I get to come hang out in Texas this week is we're, we're launching the Rye now. So Rye, again, similar trajectory, launched in Seattle the beginning of oh, last okay. year and is now rolling out around the country. Same process, ultimately, with the sherry influence? Uh, same process, but we're using a different wood for the finish. Oh. So whereas like the Angel's Envy portfolio is mostly anchored with their bourbon that is port cask mm-hmm. and then their rye that is rum cask, uh, we're doing 
Oloroso sherry for the bourbon and now uh, ruby port for the rye. Mm. And I think it still fits into the narrative that Edrington's cask management is some of the best in class. Mm -hmm. And through their sherry barrel creation, they have purchase over kind of cask management and access to a bunch of different woods. It's not entirely sherry seasoned oak in the portfolio. If you taste something like Highland Park Twisted Tattoo, they're starting to introduce red wine casks and other world whiskey casks, other world casks. I think that's the thing that's going to start making whiskey a bit more exciting. Once you, no one's done a Saturn yet, you know, but that's probably in the cards and doing Ruby Port or rather just Port in general. It's just what makes this stuff exciting. So we're going to sip this and I'm going to ask, you're going to be 40 at some point. <laughs> Lord willing, I guess. Yeah. And maybe I'm projecting I turn 40 next month. So it's like, ah, shit, you know, creatively, professionally, are there any real big mile markers for you that you see here in the next chapter of your life? I mean, this is, you got kid number two with the ride that just dropped off as you can be traveling a lot for that, but anything that you want to write, anything that you want to sing, any big things like that that you're considering? This is my hottest take. Uh, no, <laughs> the answer to your question is no. And there never has been. And that has kind of been defining or definitive perhaps in my trajectory. And that ties into kind of like just not knowing any better. Yeah. So like my extra fancy chapter, I really think of it as like, I'm going to do this thing and hang out with my friends. It was like this old Kevin Smith bit. He's like, I just want to make movies with my friends. I'd have to put uh, Jason Schwimmer in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so as long as I'm hanging out and having fun, making friends, then the rest of it, we'll ride that as long as we can, as long as I can stay healthy doing it. And, And I just want to do cool shit. So I really love the brand and the work and the tree planting and the reforestation and being able to have the charity elements yeah. and tie it into other cool things and build communities across the country. That's what turns me on much more than even the whiskey, which I do love Yeah, is those things connecting with humans, having these moments of humanity, being able to go and chat with cool people like yourself. I appreciate that. Um, and then when I stop being able to do that, then I'll go do something else where I get to do something cool. Yeah. There, something I really appreciate about that. When I, most of, and I'll, here's an insight, Tom. This is one of the things maybe people realize this or not. When I ask questions, I'm really asking myself. <laughs> That's what. So when I mentioned the bit about not being able to, maybe not, you can unwind, but there's always things on your mind. There is always stuff on my mind, and there's always planning. And it's like I've got this project, this project, this project. So it's refreshing and inspiring to me to know that you're like dude one foot in front of the other we'll see what happens and you don't plan it and map it out so intentionally that was the 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 most sound moment of my life was the moment before i went on a big bike ride and i spent eight months of my life telling myself that i had a date to plan for and that i was going to do a big thing on that date yeah because it allowed me to orient everything else around this big monolithic thing that seemed crazy and impossible and i was so grounded in that knowledge and going back to david foster wallace a bit reading infinite jest was a huge moment for me uh it's something that i did in kind of the lead up to moving to new york and Mm -hmm. and just orienting myself and and having someone to connect with in these feelings and the mantra of one day at a time Mm -hmm. and reducing something like 
how do you eat an elephant? How do you bike across the country? Right. right? We rode 92 days, and you can talk about that journey and think, how did you ride 92 days? It's insane. Mm. It's like, well, we just rode for one day, and then did it again the second day, yeah. and then did it again the third day and got tired and took a day off, and then did it again the fourth day. Yeah. And so if you break it down to this, you know, how do you ride 100 miles? Well, you ride one, and then you get to 10. And so it's kind of trying to stick with that philosophy and not get overwhelmed by the fact that we want to sell a million bottles of Noble Oak by 2030 or whatever number somebody yeah, made up. Sure. Um, and it is this kind of retail politics thing of I, I feel pacified and strong in the knowledge that everywhere that I go, every market that I go to, as long as I'm hanging out with people, they're having a good time, they see and touch the brand, yeah. then we're headed in the right direction. Even if I didn't sell 100 bottles this week or whatever, that doesn't matter. Yeah. If we're having fun, we're making friends, we're going to get to the good stuff's going to happen. I like that. It's an interesting paradigm, but one that's very positive. And what, what it is is has no lens of judgment. Whatever will be, will be. So I've got two questions left for you. It's what it is. It is what it is. What, it, what there was something you said that's from a movie. It's like, oh yeah, wherever you go, there you'll be, or something. That's from oh us. yeah. Do you know what movie that's from? I don't even know what movie that is. There's actually an old friend that said that to me, and he was probably quoting a movie. So as like a six degrees of separation mm. thing there. So I don't know the movie. Mm. Um, but I think that I famously said, "I have a bad feeling about this." About midway through the. <laughs> J.J. Abrams snuck that one into the middle of this interview. Oh, man. Man, oh, shit. Real quick, because I just tasted this rye. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. Wow. Dude, there's this crazy electric thing that's happening right in the middle. It's like that wine influence comes. Normally, you would think port's like really, really like a heavy underbelly for the back of palate to kind of support it. But no, dude, this is it. It's There's this vibrant electric citric quality in the, right in the middle. It's not the rye spice. And I'd. Normally, I'm like, okay, cool. But like, no, that, that impacted me. On mic, you could hear that it's, shit. It tastes good, man. It's, and and it's these really bottles good. are 35 and $40 at retail. I yeah, mean, I think that that's, you know, that with the good good quality and, and the good stories is yeah. where it's at. 40, they're both 45 35 for the bourbon, roughly, depending on uh, where you are, what you're listening to. Oh, uh, yeah, 45% alcohol on the, on the bourbon and 48 on the rye. Killer. That's great. So the first of the last two questions, and this is one I ask every guest, and that is, you're sipping this, the bourbon. You can sip whatever you want, but just because it's right in front of me, I'm looking at it. So you're sipping the Noble Oak bourbon, okay? With anybody, living or deceased, it doesn't matter where, but who would you love to sit down and have a conversation with over a glass of bourbon? Yeah, I prepped for this question by listening oh, to your no. podcast uh, <laughs> on my last two big drives, and I totally forgot whatever the smart thing I thought I was going to say. And now we've been talking about David Foster Wallace, and for a long time I kind of viewed him as my spirit animal. So I think in the context of the conversation, it would have to have yeah. be him. And I've listened to so many of his words, and they've moved me and touched me so much. And also, he's kind of come under fire for a, a lot of different things, largely deservedly in recent years, kind of revisiting his stuff and, yeah. and having that perspective, I think it would be really interesting to have a chat with him. Interesting. I mean, very, very interesting and dark fate, dark fate for him, you know? And this is the thing, man, is like, they're, and I'm, I'm not by any means glorifying that, right? Like ending your life and stuff, but the, there's an artistic bit to that, you know? And I'm not saying it's good, I'm not saying it's bad, but there's something romantic about it still. And it's interesting that his words can live on that way and he'll never have to face any judgment for it. And I think that's a really, really important thing. Um, 
But because of the levity, like Paddington 2, or like The Mandalorian, Baby Yoda, etc., you guys are heading to San Antonio next week for the conference, right? Yeah, we get a party on Wednesday. So come check us out at the Edrington Party if you're hearing this this week. Uh, it's also tied to good cause. It's called Raising Spirits. We're going to be hanging out with the here nor there folks at Blue Box. Oh, no shit. So Terry and Nick are going. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah, it's good, man. Good crew. I'm glad you get in combined with them. Their thoughtfulness with cocktails is just remarkable stuff. And they're fun guys too. Well, don't don't let them lie to you and think that they're not fun because they live <laughs> in their sexy little dungeon and That's make right. super thoughtful cocktails. They're good fun guys. Good, good blokes in general, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, we've been working on this. I think maybe six months or something to try to make this happen, and finally it's happened. And finally, we're sitting here drinking whiskey together. And I couldn't be more thankful for a moment like this. And I appreciate Emily helping coordinate from the distributor and stuff. So, man, I really appreciate it. I just wish we had another hour to talk. I feel I know, like we got so is, much good stuff to say. And this is where we take it off mic, and then we'll talk some more. Well, cheers, brother. Cheers, really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon, yeah? Yeah, hope so. Well, there we have it. Tom Johnson, what do you guys think? This Noble Oak whiskey is quite delicious. I am a huge fan of sherry finished whiskeys as well this port finished rye that's dropping in austin anytime soon you know tom and i have been working on this interview for a few months now i had no idea that the world is so small that he and eric job were such good friends previous interview e on the show and you know what talked about life very very intelligent articulate guy and if you guys get the chance to go to the san antonio cocktail conference next week wednesday they're throwing a nice party with the brits and the Austinites from here nor there, Terry and Nick. So stop by if you can. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how much you're waiting for this crazy storm to hit Austin, Texas, or if you're thinking, I think the new James Bond film might be pretty good, please keep dancing.